Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to The Rest is History. We are going through the 12 or 13 days of Christmas, if you like. Um, and today, of course, is the 30th of December. Uh, and Dominic, we have two new anniversaries. Um, I have Very chosen exciting. The Battle of Wakefield. So this is a good one. I like The Battle of Wakefield. Why do you like The Battle of Wakefield? Do you want to tell people when it is? Yeah, it's a Wars of the Roses battle, isn't it? It's the. Uh, do you know the date? It's um, the 30th of <laughs> December, 1460. Very yeah. good. Yeah, very good. Uh, well, I knew it was the 30th of December. <laughs> yeah, um, of so it's Richard of York's last hurrah, isn't it? Not much of a hurrah. Richard of York gave battle in vain, which is the way you remember the colours of the rainbow. Oh, yes. Very good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So I used to love the Wars of the Roses when I was a child, when I was about 11. Do you not any any longer? I do, but I've sort of, I, I suppose I... Yeah, you've grown out of it. I wouldn't say you've grown out of it. You've moved on to Jim the, Callahan. And... The trouble is that now I think of the Wars of the Roses, I, I struggle to see what it means beyond the kind of dynastic Just people feuding. killing each other. Yeah. See, I think it's pure Game of Thrones, sort of families feuding for the crown, but without any, there's no religious dimension, there's no, I, I find it hard to see any deeper kind of political significance other than, you know, cousin A wants to get, <laughs> yeah. kill cousin B and get the throne. Well, I mean, there's, there's a further complication that that is how Shakespeare frames it. Uh, and Shakespeare's plays, Henry VI, part one, part two, part three, um, a crucial part, you know, I mean, crucially influenced that sense of it. And then, of course, Richard III. But it's Shakespeare um, who creates the idea of the roses, isn't it? They yeah. pluck roses in a garden in Henry VI, part no, one, I think. No, I think, I, I think, I think that's, um, is that Holmes from, head? I, it's Holmes one head, of the right. chroniclers, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, it's not contemporary. Um, but Shakespeare's reworking of it is obviously... Uh, being very influential and and you're right i mean it is basically dynastic politics but it's also blowback from the defeat of france yeah yeah and so it's it's um uh, noblemen who've uh 
you know, they've been doing well in France, who suddenly lost all their territory and have to come back and throw their weight around in England. There are lots of men at arms who, are, you know, seasoned fighters who are looking for basically a job. And so it's a kind of, you know, it's just waiting to explode. But it's also, there's been a complete breakdown of central authority, hasn't there? Because Henry yes. VI is, it's, is, too, uh, is too godly. All he cares about yes. is praying and thinking about educational establishments. He has a complete mental breakdown. So 1453, absolute mental breakdown. And so the, the kingdom needs a, a regent. It needs a Lord Protector. Yeah. And a further complication to this, and this is certainly something that f- for Shakespeare is very important, I think possibly less so actually in the 15th century, is the fact that the House of Lancaster, of which Henry is the um, third king, so the previous ones, Henry V and Henry IV, uh, are usurpers. That probably wouldn't be so much of an issue, Tom, if he'd no. been sane. Right. I mean, no, absolutely. Just got on with that. Absolutely. But but um, so uh, Henry IV had deposed Richard II uh, and seized the throne. But there are various other descendants of um, Edward III. And there's an awful lot of kings in this episode. Yeah. I mean, perforce floating around. And one of them is Richard of York. Uh, so the family of York, they also can lay claim to a descent from Edward III, just as Henry VI can. And so the question starts to bubble up. Well, if Henry's can be king, why can't, why can't I? Yeah. And if Henry's mad, then, then why, why shouldn't we have Richard as our king when he's a able administrator and a proven soldier and yeah. all these kinds of things? Yeah. So um, when Henry VI has his breakdown, Richard is uh, appointed Lord Protector. Um, but, and this is kind of interesting... <laughs> Um, and uh, I'd I'd be interested to kind of check the exact um, monthly cycles around this. Um, during Henry's breakdown, Margaret of Anjou has a son. So until that point, Henry hadn't had an heir, and she, and it's 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 a son. So it looks as though the the line of descent for the House of Lancaster is secure. Yeah, which is bad news for for Richard of York. You know, if he wants to become king. So after after eighteen months, Henry the Sixth recovers his sanity. York is basically cross about this. And there are various other noblemen, chief among them the Nevilles. So that's the Earl of Salisbury and his son, the Earl of Warwick, yes. who will become famous as Warwick the Kingmaker, subject of a Ladybird book, no less. I loved that book. So that that's was, the, that the real me measure the, of his... Uh, that to me was the acme of the Ladybird yeah. books. Because yeah. it was just pure, nothing but fighting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Loads of people in armour, kind of wrestling in autumn, mud yeah. and things. Um so um, they, uh, there's a big battle at St. Albans. Henry VI is taken prisoner and York gets himself reappointed as Lord Protector. I like that battle, Tom, because it's an unusual medieval battle because it happens in the city, doesn't it? It in does, the town. Yes. Yeah. They're running through the streets fighting, yeah. which you don't normally have in a medieval hill. battle. Up the Very hill. exciting. Up, up from the river. Make a, great, um, make a great HBO series, I think, The Wars of the Roses. Well, I think it already has done, hasn't it? Well, with dragons the in, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that's... That's an attempt to draw up a kind of truce. Um, yeah. But it, again, it falls to pieces because obviously um, Margaret of Anjou, um, people backing the Lancastrians, the enemies of Richard the York, enemy of the Warwick, of Warwick, not happy with that. Um, and 1459, the war breaks out again. Uh, and it, it catches York and the Nevilles slightly by surprise. They, they flee to Ludlow. You must know well. York, I know York, very well. Ludlow. Very good yeah. castle, Ludlow yeah. Castle. Well, Excellent so they hang castle. out in the castle. They get cornered there. Yeah. Uh, there's a battle. They all flee in all directions. So York flees to um, Ireland. Uh, the Nevilles and Richard of York's son, Edward. Yeah. Big strapping young lad. Yeah. Uh, future Edward IV. He's sort of young Elvis, isn't he? 
and he later will become Fat Elvis in Las Vegas. Yeah, they flee to um, they flee to Calais, and the Yorkists are de- are declared traitors, but they're still on the loose. Fourteen sixty, Edward, the future Edward the Fourth, and Warwick land from Calais. Yeah, um, they attack the uh, Lancastrians at, at Northampton once again. <laughs> they they capture Henry the Sixth. He's absolutely useless. I mean, all he does is kind of wander around getting captured, <laughs> saying prayers and things. Um, and Duke of York rushes back, goes to London. He enters London and he, he lays claim to the throne. He says, I should be king. And this goes down tremendously badly, even, even with his allies. They they think this is, a you know, you can't just go around opposing kings like this. Yeah, that's strange, isn't it? It's, uh, that's uh, a reminder of one of your favourite themes, which is the uh, the sacral nature of kings. It is. That they don't want to... They, they really believe in those kind of coronation oaths and all that. Not anointing all the and... waters in the rough root sea can wash the balm of an anointed king. Is that Shakespeare? Is, it's Richard II right. saying that, which, of yeah. course, you know, <laughs> it actually turns out that they can. But he was quite wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of... But in this case... Um, I. I mean, I, Richard is Richard is toppled because he's a nightmare. People stay loyal to Henry because he's inoffensive. Yeah, he's a nice guy. But he's, he's completely out of his depth, you know, but he's out of his depth. Yeah, his trees are. So, so they they um so they they kind of draw up a compromise, which is that Henry will stay king, but Edward, the Prince of Wales, so the son that Margaret of Anjou had had when he he'd been mad, uh, will be dispossessed, and um, Edward Richard. York's son, and a lot of Edwards and Richards and things. Are very I hope people are keeping up with the yeah. words, Tom. <laughs> It'll be a test. Um, he he will be, he'll become the heir. So basically, Richard of York and his sons will 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 be the heirs. So that's the, going to be the Yorkists and the, the new line of succession. Um, and Margaret of Anjou obviously is livid, absolutely livid about this. Um, all the Lancastrians, um, and they go on the attack in the north, which of course is where York's heartlands are. So they, yep. they kind of zoom in on all his lands in, in uh, around York. And the whole point of being a feudal lord is that you protect your your lands, your your bannermen. Um, so York goes uh, rushing up to um, take on this threat. Uh, and he takes his son, Edmund, the second son, the Earl of Rutland with him. And they get bottled up uh, in a castle called Sandal uh, outside Wakefield. Yeah, uh, And they're outnumbered. Um, they know that uh, reinforcements are coming, but for some reason, Richard launches a sally out from York. No one knows why this happens, do they? It's a no, completely it's shambles, odd. isn't it? Because no. it's not. I, I, the Battle of Wavell is not really like a pitched battle, isn't it? It's like a sort of punch up in a wood or something. He kind of staggers out into a yeah. He kind of, kind of gets mugged. Yeah. Uh, and various theories as to what might have happened. You know, did, did he not realise what was happening? Was he told that people were coming? Uh, was it braggadocio? Um, was he? furious at being taunted by margaret we don't know but anyway he so um he and edmund are both killed um the the uh the earl of rutland and they uh, get decapitated and their heads get put over the, the gates of york and the head of richard has a paper crown put on it um yeah and he becomes the object of great mockery uh and in shakespeare's play this is famously a scene of great pathos um and there's um, Richard confronts Margaret of Anjou with the famous line, O tiger's heart wrapped in a woman's hide, which is one of Shakespeare's <laughs> most famous lines among his contemporaries. And people yeah. kind of, you know, they, they parody it and quote it and over and over again. 
um, which is uh, a, a kind of measure of the, the impact that the play had and his portrayal of this dramatic scene. And I think it's I think it's the idea of you know this famous warrior being humbled at the feet of a, a French woman. But the interesting thing with Shakespeare, though, is that Shakespeare's quite ambivalent, isn't he? Because ultimately, he, his sympathies are with the Lancastrians, aren't they? Because in Richard III, obviously, the York, the the final Yorkist is a tremendous villain, and Henry the Seventh, Henry Tudor, yeah, is going to come along, and obviously, Shakespeare wants to celebrate the Tudors for obvious reasons, yeah. um, uh, because well, the sort of status quo. So, so Margaret, uh, so um, Richard, w- women are soft, mild, pitiful, and flexible. Vows stern, obdurate, flinty, rough, remorseless. <laughs> Um, and Margaret, a, a historically in Shakespeare, she survives into the reign of Richard III. Um, and she's this kind of, well, kind of chorus stroke fury that, mm. that kind of glides onto the action of the play with her lucubrations uh, moaning. And But she's a tremendous character anyway, Shakespeare or no Shakespeare. She's uh, one of medieval yeah. history is great yeah. kind of impressive women, isn't she? she? I mean, she's basically lumbered with this dead loss of her husband. Yeah. And she fight, and she, and well, and she does fight, fight like a tiger for her son. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think that's a so paper crown on head. That's a no way to go, but it's a good story. Richard of York gave battle in vain. We shall return after the break uh, with another, well, another slightly useless ruler, actually. But we shall be heading into the <laughs> but, but a saintly ruler, right? I mean, literally, yeah, a very saint. saintly ruler. Literally well, we shall discuss this. Okay, so we'll see you back. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. They used to say, go west. What they meant was go forward. Find your own way. Make something out of nothing. It can be tempting to take it easy. But discovery doesn't wait. So this summer, see what it means to make the most of dawn, dusk, and every minute in between. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. 
It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is History. Uh, Tom has given us the Battle of Wakefield and the end of Richard, Duke of York. I am going to give us the coronation of the last Habsburg emperor, Karl I, or Charles I, on the 30th of December, 1916, in Buda, by Budapest. So we're in the First World War, and Austria, or Austria-Hungary, has basically, for long as anyone can remember, been in the sort of shadow of this extraordinary figure, the Emperor Franz Joseph, who is this mutton chops, this this yeah mutton chop whiskered absolute symbol of army discipline, of sobriety, of austerity, of service. He's he's sort of the in some ways he's the sort of nineteenth century equivalent of Elizabeth II. So everybody kind of he yeah. never says anything. That's interesting. a great comparison. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, um, he never he's he's. Just by sheer longevity, he has sort of worked his way into the affections of his people. He absolutely incarnates kind of conservatism, um, service, patriotism, all these kinds of things. But by now, he's about 140. Um, and the First World War has broken out in 1914. The Austro-Hungarians have started, of course, by declaring war on Serbia to punish them for the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Now, France it hasn't necessarily developed to their advantage. It has not developed to their advantage at all. So they've been humiliated in Serbia. It's they've just in 1916 been on the receiving end of the Brusilov offensive by the Russians. This colossal offensive that has killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Austro-Hungarians and almost swept the empire away. Um, so they've been generally very, you know, it hasn't gone well. Fra I should say in German, it's Franz Josef. He um, he has had an incredibly unlucky time with his family. So his wife, Sissi Elizabeth, who's this very romantic sort of Diana figure of the 19th century. Who, Dominic, if you had not been felled by COVID. Yeah. Um, and you'd come to the Corfu Literary Festival. You would yes. have heard all about her because we did. Uh, I did it with Michael Taylor, who stepped in to your shoes. Yeah. Very, very admirably. Yeah. Um, we, we did an event at the house, the extraordinary house on... Um, Uncle Fu that, that was built for her. Oh, my word. And I missed out on this. You did miss out on So it. in the reporting generally of the pandemic, I think this, my suffering has not been sufficiently, has not well, been given a chance attention. now for you to, yeah, to, to milk it. Know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, she's been, she was stabbed by an Italian anarchist. Um, so she was murdered. His son, Rudolf, Franz Josef's son, Rudolf, 
um, it's an extraordinary incident at the hunting lodge at Myerling, uh, kills himself in a sort of strange murder-suicide pact with his mistress. So he's dead, his only son. So then the, the successor is going to be Franz Ferdinand. He and his wife, Sophie, are murdered by... Take a wrong turning. Gavrilo Princip, because their car stalls at the wrong moment, going after a wrong turning, exactly in Sarajevo. So now the person who is going to succeed Franz Josef is a, is a completely useless... I mean, I hate to say this, because <laughs> I know we've got Habsburgs coming on the programme... Um, in the new but year. But he's, he's useless, as we said, in a saintly way, reminiscent of Henry right, VI. Right, of Henry VI. So here's our parallel. So he is, um, he was previously the Archduke Karl. Um, and he is basically the great nephew of Franz Josef I. So the, what would that make him? The nephew of Franz Ferdinand. And he is, what is he? He's 29 when he succeeds. He's, he's never really done anything very much. He hasn't even been, because no one expected him to succeed. He's just a sort of, you know, attendant Habsburg aristo. Yeah. Um, so he succeeds to this empire that is in this colossal clash of kind of modern, you know, to- of, of, of sort of leviathans. Um, and, it, and he doesn't really know what he's doing. So he's crowned in the, in the Matthias church in Buddha, uh, in a ritual, Tom, that you will enjoy, that goes back to the year 1000. I love that. And the coronation yeah. of the first Hungarian king, Stephen I. I think they yeah. would call him Istvan I. And he's crowned in this he very... Got sent sort of, a, he got sent a replica of the uh, the Holy Spear. Well, this is what we're going to discuss, because Carl... So we're in 1916, in this world of kind of tanks, the Battle of the Somme, all this stuff. And he is crowned with a, a crown that is largely Byzantine. Mm-hmm. Um, so this extraordinary thing, you can Google it if you haven't seen it, the Holy Crown of Hungary, which is 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 much more than just a crown because some people say it kind of is Hungary, that it is the symbol. It's it's the sort of legal personification of Hungary itself. But Dominic, a, a while back, we said we should try and get um, Otto the Great, friend of the show, into every episode, which we failed to do. But there is an opportunity here because, of course, it's the Hungarians who get defeated by Otto the Great. Um, and then they not only submit to uh, to German power, but also to the Christian faith and become devoted servants of the church and this is why one of the reasons i think they've been given this crown because the crown has been given some there's some disagreement about exactly where they get the crown but some people think the crown itself is given by the byzantine emperor michael the seventh now we will be referring to him in a later podcast in this 12 days of christmas so it's all it's amazing the intricacies together doesn't it yeah with which it's a fabric uh, uh, choices yeah historical tapestry there are these fantastic enamels a beautiful sort of illustrations on the crown, uh, which have been made in Constantinople. The crown is given to the Hungarians. It has it's all written in Greek and stuff. So it's still in Budapest today. You can still see it, I think, in Budapest today. And now the most famous thing about it is that the cross on the top is crooked. So if you look at it, it looks very peculiar because the cross is all like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and it has been, I think, since the 17th century when it was knocked, and they've never tried to mend it. So it's become a kind of tradition, but. People think that there's all kinds of stuff with, is there a th- bit of the thorn, uh, what of the crown of thorns um, from the crucifixion contained in the crown somewhere? I think somewhere? what we can safely say is it's very sacral. It's very sacral. You're absolutely right. So, Carl, who is this sort of slightly chinless, nothing of a person without being mean to him, um, he is crowned in Budapest with this. He's already been in Vienna now, because it's, it's, of course, the dual monarchy of Austria-Hungary. 
So he's come to the Hungarian bit. He's crowned. There's a big banquet afterwards, but they cut cut that short. It's much the celebrations are quite muted compared with normal because of course they're in the First World War and Austria mm. is really struggling. You know, the country that started it all is doing very badly, but also of course it's got this huge multi ethnic empire. People don't speak the same language. The it's army is kind apart. Of, it's all falling apart. So Carl is quite a decent sort of fellow. He um, is a very devout Catholic. He takes his responsibilities as emperor terribly seriously. Um, and he has various ideas for how Austria can survive the First World War, go into the the future. So he thinks, you know, we need to have a federal sort of state in Austria with all states, a bit like Franz Ferdinand had wanted to do before he was killed. He thinks the Croats should be given more of a say, so it should have a sort of South Slav element to it, so it's no longer just a dual monarchy. But all of this is just kind of fantastical because it's quite obvious that the Austrians are not going to win and the Empire's probably not going to survive. And so he opens peace feelers, doesn't he? He's always out opening peace feelers. Yeah, I think he basically spends most of his time sending messages via sort of intermediaries to the Allies, particularly to the Americans uh, after 1917 and sort of saying, yeah, can we do some kind of a deal? But by this point... He's such a junior partner to the Kai, to the, to the, well, to Hindenburg and Ludendorff, the military kind of dictators of Germany, that, you know, yeah. Austrians have so little freedom and maneuver, really. The Germans basically calling the shots on the, on the battlefield and, and it's irrelevant what he's doing. Um, he, interesting thing about him, Tom, do you know what his wife was called? No. Princess Zita of Bourbon Parma. Great name. Uh, she's crazy one name, ha- crazy girl. Well, do you know how many, she's one of how many daughters, how many sisters? 12. 17. 17. 17. Look at that. 17. Guess when she died? Uh, 1982. 1989. Not bad. I'm kind of the right ballpark. You're in the right ballpark, but she was a tremendously long lived. So she and Carl. Where did she end up? Well, um, they went to Madeira eventually, as you'll, of course as they did. Yes, as you'll course soon did. discover. Yes. But they were, Carl was ineffective. Um, in the uh he was ineffective in the conference chamber tom but very effective <laughs> in the bedroom because they had eight children in 10 years wow i mean that's very catholic behavior yes <laughs> it, it is so anyway um poor old carl he's utterly swept away in uh, november 1918 no one gives a damn what he thinks about anything after his father who had been such a great figurehead I mean, this, this is a bit ominous, really, the comparison with the, our current queen for poor old Charles. Mm. I mean, Charles at least has been trained for, you know, was Karl hadn't been. So he's swept away in November 1918. The Austria-Hungarian Empire falls apart. All the constituent bits declare independence. And he basically is kind of kicked out. And he goes off to Switzerland. But what a lot of people don't know is that he never properly abdicated. So he sort of thinks, well, I'm kind of still the emperor. So I can still... Uh, Try and and come it, back. Right. And in the chaos after the First World War, um, so in 1921, he, he basically decides the future is Hungarian. I will come back to Hungary. So on Easter Saturday, 1921, he just suddenly pitches up back in Hungary. And is he greeted with open arms? He's not. I'd like to take hey. over now. Now, the, the fellow who's running Hungary is a man called Admiral Horthy, who's a, who's a former naval commander in the. Well, the, the clue's in the name. I, well, it is in there. <laughs> but a lot of people wouldn't know that Austria-Hungary had a navy, Tom. Out of Trieste, based yeah. out of Trieste and all that sort of area. Well, Admiral Haughty, he's technically the regent. So he's, you would expect yeah. that he'd be what, delighted. what the king says. Yeah, but no. Well, it's like Richard of York. 
He says this is a terrible idea. It's astonishing parallels. The Allies, the Allies will invade again, which they will because Romania, Czechoslovakia, Hungary's neighbours have basically said, if the Habsburgs ever come back, we will attack you. Uh, We hate the Habsburgs. We hate you. We will attack you if the Habsburgs come back. I, I hope I hope Edward Habsburg isn't listening to this. So poor old Carl, he he's very disappointed. Um, he sent he has there's some strange business. He's come with no coat. So, <laughs> so oh. I think because he was expecting to be installed kind yes. of straight away in the warmth yeah, of, of the, the Hungar- of the Hungarian <laughs> people's hearts. <laughs> um, so he catches a, co- a dreadful cold. Anyway, he has to go back to Switzerland. But undeterred, Tom has another crack. He and he waits a few months till um till the autumn, and then he flies back in. This time he's a bit more prepared, and he has armored trains. And the mm. armored trains kind of shoot along. And where did he get the armored train from? I think he just arrived at a station and well, some people it. commandeered trains or something. I, I, to be honest, I haven't looked into the details of Make this. A great event. Second, second coup as much as I should have done. But then. It's, he's foolish. Instead of going straight to the capital and like killing all his enemies, he pre- he's not a violent man, so he proceeds slowly, stopping at every kind of village and hamlet to receive Praying the acclamation of, shrines. Of, of the peasants. Yeah. The peasants wave and he, you know, they kiss his hand and give him flowers and stuff. Uh, so that's, he's too slow. So basically they arrive and the Hungarian government again have, again, Hungarian neighbors basically say, if you install him, we will attack you and kill you all. So, the Hungarian government raises troops, sees off his small ragtag army, and they kick him out. And off he goes to Madeira, where he dies of a broken heart a year later. Oh. Very sad. Age Very 34, sad story. I gather. Very young man. But 34 with how many kids? Eight kids. He's had eight kids in 10 years. I mean, imagine being 34 and having eight children. Yeah. God almighty, I can't cope with one. Well, anyway. But you, 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 you've got, I mean, you've got plenty of, you've got staff, haven't you? Well, he's got if stuff. I don't have stuff. Yeah. No, I'm I mean, not saying you, but you haven't. You've only had no, one. No, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so that's the end of him. But everybody says he's the most tremendous chap. Uh, and he's on his way to sainthood, I believe. He's a venerable. Yeah. I looked him up. So he's like Bede. <laughs> Do you think he's... Well, I'm not going to lie. Bede never launched a coup. If I was Bede, yeah, I'd be I'd be cross at that. You'd feel well, devalued. You know, you're like one of these people who Bede, yeah. Bede, one of the great scholars of the church. Yeah. You know, spent his life as a monk, shivering. Yeah, up in Jonathan Wilson land. He never led a country in a world war, though. No, I mean, and this guy, I mean, he's <laughs> having children left, right, and centre, launching coups. Yeah, but uselessly. I don't but think uselessly that's to be fair. Just- so the question therefore comes, Tom, who is better, Richard of York or Karl I of Austria? Well, I think Karl, Karl because he, d- he didn't, I mean, he didn't launch a civil war. And because he, he, wa- he did actually get his hands on the crown. I mean, he wore his yeah, he crown did, yeah. with a crooked crown, yeah. not a paper Whereas crown. Whereas Richard of York never became king and caused a civil war. So I think he was a bit of a nightmare. Okay. So for once, this is probably the only podcast in which the Emperor Karl of Austria-Hungary has emerged as a victor. Yeah, I'm glad for him. I'm happy for happy for the lad. So, yeah, a hundred years after his failure to secure the crown of Hungary in a he coup, he secures the crown <laughs> of the rest is history. Listeners' hearts, <laughs> the king of hearts, the king of people's hearts. You know who we're doing tomorrow? Emperor Bacasa the first. I love emperors. I'm oh. I'm all about emperors on this podcast. Yeah, in the well, emperor Bacasa of the Central African Empire. It's laugh a minute with us. He he was a naughty boy. 
<laughs> he was a bad boy. He was a very right. bad boy. More well, on him tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll see you there. And uh, just to compliment him, we've got the uh, we've got the coronavirus. Oh, what a what a festive celebration! That <laughs> no, ho ho ho! We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rest Is History. For bonus episodes early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.